0: Start early, take risks, execute a plan, have a vision of where you want to go, and and don't let anything stop you from getting there.
1: You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson.
2: All everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode 161. This is Clark, here along with my co-host, Jace. Jace, what's going on, man? How are you?
0: Not a lot. How you doing?
2: Good. We had a, a fun interview coming up this week with you, right? I mean, that's the first time one of us have, have been on the show in terms of sharing our portfolio allocation, I guess, more wholly than we did initially. At the beginning, we kind of did a little episode that shared how we invest our money, but you're a lot more open on this episode coming up, right? Yep. Yep, that's correct. So looking forward to that, just as a quick recap, on last week's show, we had Rena and Justin, married couple, so it was fun having them on together. They had a net worth of about 1.3. Justin is active duty military, and about 80% of their net worth is in real estate. They have about eight properties total. Five are currently paid off. So that's between single family and home. So interesting story with them. So Jay's coming up on this episode as... We talked about it. I mean it was a longer interview, but I I think it's super interesting. But as we were talking about it after and and listening to it, one thing that we left out that I thought would be interesting to ask about is mistakes that you've made. And so I just want to plug that in here in the intro before we get into the episode with you. What are some of the mistakes you've made or or a couple that stand out really?
0: Yeah, we were discussing this a little bit and I, I think there's one major one for me that, that comes to mind and that was a period of time when I had sold my first property that I bought and made a pretty significant amount of money in a short time, and, and part of that was luck in a way. I did pick a property that I thought was, a, a, you know, going to appreciate value. It was in a good spot in 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 uh, Dallas, Texas, and I was initially planning to rent it after we moved out. I uh, bought it before I got married, but the it, the the property depreciated so much that I ended up selling it. And then I took that cash as I was moving to Austin and I just left it in the bank. In hindsight, I really wish I would have house hacked and gone and bought, you know, a fourplex here in Austin somewhere. Cause we were, we were waiting. We, we'd already started building another place that I was also planning to turn on, turn into a rental down the road. But. We had to wait almost a year while that place was getting built. So, we just rented an apartment and that was a great apartment. I mean, we had a phenomenal view of the city downtown and, and we really loved it. But from a financial perspective and from a long-term planning perspective, I really missed a great opportunity to, to buy a fourplex uh, and, and be able to, you know, turn that into a rental and another rental property. And I always kind of don't kick myself, but that that's a big mistake that I... and. It wasn't that I wasn't thinking about real estate or, or investments, I was, but I just, you know, and I let that cash just sit in the bank for a year, pretty much doing nothing.
2: So, why didn't you? You mentioned you just had the cash, so why didn't you? I know we talked before a little bit and you said it wasn't even something that was necessarily on your mind.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know if I just hadn't done enough research, or I don't know, I just didn't think about it at the time. I was worried about other things and starting business. You know, my wife was was moving on and from her job and starting a business, and and I had kind of just started a new role uh, with my company, and I don't know, it just was something just slipped through, and we had no kids at the time, weren't planning on on having kids in that year or the next year, even after that, so it just. It just slipped through, and you know it's one of those things that man, I could have, I, I could have really done. I mean, just to give you an idea when I when I came here to Austin, I guess that was what five years ago. So call it twenty fifteen. I probably could have picked up a fourplex, you know, in a decent area in the city for you know four or five hundred grand. So even let's just say didn't if F, FHA or even ten percent down on it had had the cash to do it. It probably would have cash flow pretty decent, uh, especially if we were living in the one and then moved out. And those fourplexes now in the city are easily worth six hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars. So call it a two hundred to three hundred thousand dollar potential miss in a way. Plus all the the pay down on the debt and you know owning real estate in many places is a good plan. And I could have had some more in Austin, which would have been even a better plan than I devised and. I just I missed on that one for sure, and and that's not something I can go back and do. I got you know two kids now, and you know I'm not going to go move into a fourplex and house hack a fourplex.
2: Well, thanks for sharing with us, and, and I think you get more open too, right? I mean, we got a little bit of a longer episode, as I mentioned with with Jace today. So pretty open with everything you've done, everything you plan to do and then how you got there. So uh, keep listening. That's fun stuff coming up. If you're interested in any multifamily or commercial investment opportunities, we had a good commercial one come up recently. If you're interested in any of those, shoot us an email at millionairesunveiled at com. Those are primarily for accredited investors, but we're always open, of course, to meeting guests, non-accredited investors. Or if you just want to reach out, it's always fun to connect with our guests. We actually did This last week when when I was in Austin recording with Jace, we met up with one of our listeners and and played tennis. So always fun to connect with people and to meet some of our listeners. If you enjoy the show, if you get something out of it, we'd appreciate you leaving a five-star review on any platform you listen to. It helps us grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. So thanks for listening week after week. Thanks for hanging with us. Hope everybody is safe and staying healthy. And without any further delay, please help me welcome Jace. Or Jace, maybe you want to welcome yourself, right, to our own show. So Yeah, something like that. All right, Jace, what's going on? Weird to say welcome to the show when it's both of us, and we're always the ones saying welcome to the show, right? But now, really, I'm welcoming you to the show. So, welcome. Yeah.
0: We've had several listeners that have written in about this, and so... Finally, I, I, well, I don't know, finally, I guess we just kind of decided that if we're going to do it, we're probably going to do it now. And so I volunteered to to come on my own show.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, it's going to be
2: fun. I'm going to get you with questions we've never asked before. So, where are you at right now, net worth wise? Yes. So, I am just over a million dollars,
0: give or take. It's it's a little dicey just because I've got equity in a couple of businesses and, depending on how you value those and EBITDA multiples and
2: assets and whatnot. But yeah, for all intents and purposes and for this, just over a million dollars. So we talked previously in the last few years that when one of us would become a millionaire, we'd do something to celebrate. So I don't think, at least to my knowledge, that you guys went and did anything. You guys, meaning you and your wife or family, but did you do anything to celebrate?
0: I mean, Clark, we're celebrating right now. Like, we went and got cookies last night. We've been hanging out.
1: Like, I mean, this is what it's all about. Like, we're celebrating right now. I celebrate every day. But you didn't go on an excursion to Africa, I guess.
0: No. And, and here's the thing, and, and we'll get into this a little bit too, just in general, in terms of like valuing businesses, and it, it's a substantial part of my net worth. And it's really hard knowing when, I guess, that day happened. Uh, for for example, I mean I get a valuation on one of my companies every single year, so it's a little bit easier to, to do that, but it really could have been two years ago. I really look at it as more or less happening during this pandemic. So what we were what were we gonna do? I mean, it really probably happened in April, realistically, April, May. So what were we gonna do? I mean, everything was kind of shut down, locked down. And we talk about a lot of this with our millionaires. I mean, what am I going to go do? Just have a nice meal. I mean, we, we, we talk about it and I think we'll go do something. But there was never something on the, the calendar is like, this is how we're going to celebrate.
2: Yeah. yeah. So maybe after COVID, you'll do something a little different. So let's run into this here. First, I mean, we obviously start with people's breakouts. So a million bucks, how is it broken out? And maybe let's just focus on retirement, non-retirement, and then anything outside of the market and we'll drill in from there. I've got
0: just over $300,000 in retirement accounts. And and retirement accounts consist of Roth IRA assets, which is just under $200,000. Traditional IRA assets, which are just under $100,000. And then I've got uh, just over $50,000 in my HSA. And then I've got roughly 35 to, depending on where things are valuation-wise, 65% in business equity between mainly two businesses, uh, one that is a has substantial revenue and, and has been in existence for a long time and one that is more of a newer venture for myself that's a franchise uh, that's been open just for a couple months. And then I've got about 20% in real estate that is rental real estate, uh, Airbnb, and then uh, a rental that used to be a primary residence. And then I've got about in equity in my primary residence, and then about 9% in cash right now. So, that is basically how it breaks up. And then I've got a couple uh, ESAs, which are – we can talk about this a little bit later too for my kids, Uh, how to kind of get creative in funding those. But those, for all intents and purposes, I don't really consider my net worth, but it is definitely something that I track uh, for for my kids.
2: Okay, awesome. So I, I want to dive into some of that. I mean, you have about 400 in retirement. and We'll get into how you decide whether you want to invest in Roth versus traditional and how you've been able to build that up so quickly. And then obviously some in the business and real estate. But now that we have your allocation net worth of a million, we know how it's broken out. Let's back it up full swing because I think it's an interesting story of your past, especially childhood, right? And how you got started, some of which was with a paper route, Correct. Yeah. So,
0: basically, the, the first dollars that I earned was doing a paper route and I did a paper. I started a paper out when I was 13 years old and I did that for five years. And then I also had a lawn care business, you know, traditional mowing lawns uh, that expanded as I got a little bit older into doing some landscaping projects and some other things for people around my area and neighborhood and everything else. And in those formative years, I did all sorts of crap. I mean, I sold those rubber bands back in the day. They were super, you know, and made them famous. But then there was all sorts of rubber bands. I started selling rubber bands to people. I mean, I was always kind of just hustling for a buck. I sold, I had a company or a little business company, a little teeny business, Where we made suckers and I would sell suckers and snow cones during the summer to people at, you know, in my neighborhood and then sometimes at, at like, you know, local gatherings and junk. And my parents were always pretty supportive of, I guess, entrepreneurial endeavors or just exploring and trying to learn. I mean, I remember my mom staying up late, trying to help me make these green flyers that I literally, I mean, I was like 12 years old or 13 years old and I was taking all these flyers. It was Jace's yard care. And I was taking those all over to the neighbors and trying to just, you know, I think my first job I landed, I made $8. I remember this. It's crazy. I I charged her $8 to mow her lawn and then $2 for edging, weed whacking. And I was terrible at the weed whacking. I was always just chopping her flowers and stuff. And little by little, I got better and better and better. But man, there were weeks where I like didn't edge for whatever reason or didn't need it. or I, I can't even remember. My edger was broken or something. And, you know, I only got paid $8 and I was mad, you know, because that edging in terms of the time it took was so much less to earn that $2. And I, I still, that was a lesson I've carried through that there are some things that you can do in life that reap much larger benefits for the amount of time you spend doing them. And to me, at that time, doing that edging was one of those because it took me I don't know, ten maybe five or ten minutes to earn that two dollars, but to mow the lawn to earn that other eight was like forty five to an hour, and so those were kind of the first things that that I started doing. And then as I kind of started getting older, I remember talking to my dad about investing, and and obviously I've shared this a lot on the on the podcast that my dad was fairly open with how he invested and. You know, I remember him pulling out the calculator and showing me time value money and all these kinds of things. And I was just so fascinated by it. I remember calling, you know, this is back in the day where it was like commercials. I mean, the internet didn't exist. I remember calling T. Rowe Price and T. Rowe Price sent me some prospectus. I mean, this is when they sent prospectus in the mail. And I just thought that was so cool. I'm like, who's this company sending this to like some 12, 13, 14 year old kid? I'm like, man, I'm going to start investing. This is amazing. And and I did I mean, I started putting stuff away, you know, and I started trying to understand things a little bit better, but I also spent a lot of that money. I remember, and this is a big family joke, you know, I spent two thousand dollars one year at Taco Bell when I was in high school. No, no need, I mean, I just was going to Taco Bell all the time. It wasn't like we didn't have food, but I spent two thousand dollars, and that was a a lesson that you know when I got to the end of the year, and I'm looking at potential taxes and stuff. It's like, this is crazy. I spent $2,000 to talk. Like, where did all this money go? And found out. Well, it was Taco
1: Bell. <laughs> what, what's the menu item of choice? What was it?
0: Dude, these are the days when like Mexican pizzas were good. They had like this spicy burrito on the dollar menu. They had Mexican tots. I mean, some of the stuff I was buying back then, Taco Bell hasn't even had on their menu for the last like 15 years. Dude, I'm not sure if Mexican tacos.
2: Is that what you said? Mexican pizzas? Yeah, Mexican pizzas. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if Mexican pizzas were ever good. Maybe just when you're a 17-year-old boy, anything tastes
0: good, right? Dude, I don't even know, man. I was buying all sorts of stuff at Taco Mill mainly. You know, there was a few other restaurants around my house, but that one was the one that like we always went to. And I spent so much money there. It was stupid. Too, you know, 16 years old. I mean, think about if I invested in that at 16, where that would be. If I would have bought, let's just say, Amazon stock or even anything. I mean, it would just would have been crazy. But, you know, that was a good lesson I think to learn at that age and it's the butt of many family jokes at this point in my life and I still laugh about it too. But yeah, no, that really, those experiences really formed who I was as an, I guess, an investor and the way I looked at a lot of things and, you know, I I, I wanted to invest. I saw the calculator and I started understanding numbers and it, it became something that I was interested in, almost like a hobby.
2: So, how did the thinking, the entrepreneurial thinking start? Was it something that at a young age, when you were 10 or 12 years old, your dad said, Hey, go do this? Or did you think, Hey, I want to go mow lawns and see? Because I think a lot of people that started young, right, that came from their parents. Their parents wanted them to work. They wanted to instill a work ethic. They wanted to teach them what it was like, right, to grind or to hustle a little bit. At least that's how it was for me. So, how did that start for you? Where did all these little entrepreneurial ventures, or even the paper route, right, which required getting up early? How did that start?
0: Yeah, there were a few people that I knew that had paper routes and I subbed for them a couple times and I just saw the amount of money that I was made, you know, that I made when they were subbing. I'm like, man, this is great. And for somebody who was I mean, I just I just was trying to hustle, I guess. There part of it I was, you know, my parents didn't buy everything for me. So there were things I want. I remember wanting a bike really bad, and it was like 100 dollars at Costco. And the jobs that my parents would allow me to try to find around the house, I didn't have chores. I mean, there's just expectations about, you know, making your bed. I didn't get paid a quarter for making my bed or any of that kind of stuff. I had to really like search things out in my house, but I really wanted to get paid. There was no allowance or anything, but it just wasn't, I just wasn't getting traction fast enough to buy that bike. I wanted that bike sooner. And that's when I realized so it's not going to be given to me my parents. My parents are, you know, there's only so much I can do around the house. And so I just think I started sourcing other things. You know, whether it was, hey, I've got a lawn mower, I can mow lawns. I've been mowing my own for a couple of years. I have confidence in doing that. You know, I saw the people doing the paper out, and I was like, man, this is great money. You come, you work, you work an hour in the morning. I was already a morning person. I'm already getting up super early. And you know, the, the it was good money. I was making like twenty five dollars a day, which is, you know, if you squated to your time, I was like twenty five dollars an hour for a thirteen, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen year old kid, which was great money. I didn't have to worry about it after school. There was no customer, you know, major customer service issues. You might put the paper on the doorstep. I mean, I got a real good a huck on those things from the street. I mean, it was great. I thought it was amazing. And and my dad helped me out. I mean, and then and I would not have been able to do that had he not, you know, I think he charged me twenty five dollars or Fifty dollars a month or something for gas, basically, is what he charged me, and and that was probably fair. But he didn't, you know, he gave me his time, he gave me help, and that was really instrumental in in laying the foundation for a lot of things. And my
2: my dad was willing to do it. Yeah, it's re- it's really interesting and fun to hear about too. So all the jobs that you were doing growing up. Did you continue to do that through all of high school or at some point, did you have a shift and get a more stable job? I don't want to say stable, but something where you had to show up at a specific time and a little bit more of a job that was less entrepreneurial or did all the entrepreneurial stuff continue till you went to, to college?
0: Yeah. So I did the paper route all through, I guess, middle school and high school until I left for college. I mowed lawns as well. And then when I turned, I guess when I was 18 towards the end of high school, I did get a, another I guess traditional day job. I mowed lawns commercially, and then I also so and then I worked at at a sporting goods store in the evening. So I would wake up. I mean, this is crazy. I like look back. I'm like, man, I was I was just hustling. I got up and did my paper out five in the m- four thirty in the morning. When, was when I woke up and and did that. Got it done before six, and then I think I worked out, and then I went in, and I got to my commercial lawn mowing job by eight. And I was there from like 8 to 3 or 8 f- to 4 or so. And then I'd go home, have dinner. And then I would go work at the sporting goods store most days from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. And then I'd go home and go to bed. And I just did that for basically once high school ended for the whole summer. So, like four months. And then I went to college. And I became a janitor at college. Early morning janitor. Going back to the early mornings. It was a time to work. It was easy. Fit my schedule. And so, I started cleaning toilets. And then I hustled and I was cleaning toilets. And within a couple months, I got a promotion, if you could call it that, in the janitorial world. And I started driving the Zamboni machine is what I called it. It was basically the floor cleaning machine for the fine arts building on campus. So I was driving this machine every morning, which was like, I don't know, man, I loved it. I just put put on books, listen to stuff in the morning. Nobody's there. And that was basically what I did for my first year at college. And then I went on a a church mission.
2: So how much did you have saved up before you got to college? And was it the expectation of you and your parents or the understanding rather that you paid for college or is that something they helped pay for?
0: Yeah. So going into it, it was, I just was under, we didn't ever have that conversation. So I was just under the impression that I was basically paying for everything And I did my freshman year. I when I showed up, wrote the check for tuition that that wasn't covered by a scholarship. Wrote my check for you know room and board and all this kind of stuff. And I just never, I I never approached my parents about it. They never approached me about it. They had had a plan all along. They just never told me about. Um, But to answer your question, I think I had probably ten or fifteen thousand dollars saved up by the time I graduated, and I used about five of that or so uh, in my first year at school. You know, tuition up at the time, I, it wasn't covered by scholarship. It was only like a couple grand. So it was like a couple grand each semester in the room and board. But I was also working, so that covered a lot of room and board. Uh, so I didn't drain my savings right away. I was kind of working to like pay living expenses the way I looked at it. And then tuition kind of came out of my savings. And then books came out of that as well. I think my parents helped a little bit with the books. And then there was also, I was always kind of under the impression that I was going to pay for about half of my church mission. And so I needed to set five thousand dollars away f- aside for that as well, and I really wanted to come back with some money. But what happened is, is my parents ended up just not telling me, and they ended up covering that. And they ended up when I got back and and stuff, they ended up helping me out with with school as well. And kind of, I don't even want to call it back pain, but there was I had a little interesting situation where I worked for some uh, sales company and I got paid some commission, but that commission had some back end requirements. And I ended up taking that money and buying a car and then ended up having to pay it back. And of course, I'd spent the cash on the car and I didn't have the money to like pay back this essentially money that, you know, legally had been essentially fronted to me just because the the obligation on the recruiting part of it hadn't been fulfilled. And so, my parents kind of stepped in and helped me with that. And my dad just said, well, you
2: paid for your first year of school. So, here you go. We're going to like essentially bail you out. Wow. So you, you finish, you go to college, go to school with about $15,000, buy a car, and then keep it going from there. So, so then you, you go on the church mission, right? You, you, you help pay for some of that or your parents rather, right? Then you come back and did it just keep going? You got another job. And then usually we talk about this at the beginning, like right? Like a little elevator pitch of who you are. So maybe couple this with you come back, I know you finished up school undergrad in accounting, and then career-wise, where has it gone here the last seven, eight years since then?
0: Yeah. So, I got back. I, I got a couple more jobs doing a bunch of different things. Started realizing that I, I wanted to go major in business. I was pre-med before I went on that church mission, came back, decided I was going to pursue a business career, and then it ultimately landed on doing accounting. Worked all through school. Most of the time, two jobs, or at least one job, sometimes two jobs. And I can remember one year I had this Internship thing that popped up, and I had the time to do it. So I, that year, I had three jobs, which is crazy. But uh, you know, I just I, I wanted to get experience, and you know, when opportunities kind of presented themselves, I didn't want to turn them down just because I didn't think I have the time. I just tried to figure out how to make the time. When I graduated, I I took a opportunity with Price Waterhouse or PwC, got my CPA license. So I was with them. Uh, for just under a couple of years and then went to an outsourced accounting firm, which is thought, which is really what I thought I wanted to do. And it was great experience, worked with a lot of different clients, a lot of different industries and companies, and then left that and went in-house as a, a chief financial officer for
2: a, a company and have been with them for almost five years now. So how much, jumping around careers here, right? Because I think early on, you stayed, what, a year and a half, right, at Big Four, we call it, or at PwC. Then you moved over to this outsourced accounting firm and stayed, what, about a year-ish there, maybe less? A couple years. A couple years, and then this opportunity came up. So there's been a few people, right, a few millionaires that we've had on the show that have jumped around uh and, and really found success right in their careers, whether it's being something that they wanted to do more of or something they were more interested or whether it was just financially. So for you, was it searching for what you wanted to do or was it a little bit following the opportunity and the money as things came? Yeah, I think it was a little in both. I mean,
0: just give our listeners some context. So initially, I mean I went out to the Bay Area and I thought I wanted to pursue things in tech. Uh, with PwC, and I thought I wanted to move into you know the VC world or with a tech company or you know that that interested me in college, and then I went and did it, and there were a lot of things that I just felt that just didn't really suit me and really didn't suit my skill set, and I decided that I needed to look at a different you know different opportunity, and that's when I, I moved with with the uh, PwC to Dallas. And got in a a different kind of group, a private equity group and and a hedge fund group. And I think when I went to PwC, I I mean, I knew it was going to be a great foundation, but it just wasn't really the best fit for me, skill set wise. And a lot of things there. I mean, PwC is a phenomenal company, don't get me wrong. I just, for me, it just wasn't a great fit. And... Then you know I springboarded that experience there though into doing and moving into outsourced accounting. I I really liked the client service model. I mean I, I enjoyed working with a bunch of different clients in a bunch of different industries. I mean I worked on so many cool transactions. Uh, when I was there at PwC and after, ultimately I actually made partner with that firm uh, and, and moved and opened an office and stuff. And and I really enjoyed a lot of it. And I still I mean there's there's a lot of things that. I think are are really fun about that business and about that model. But I just, I, I got an opportunity and it was just too good to pass up. And, you know, that in terms of like the career trajectory, you know, each one of these moves uh, significantly made more money each time. And I think the experience that was going to get gained, in my opinion, was going to s- surpass and outweigh the experience that I was going to continue to have at the previous place. And so, that's really why I made a lot of the moves. I mean, there's, there's a couple different components to it. But I also wanted to find something that fit me a little bit better too. And that was, that was tough to do. I mean, at first the first few years, I asked my wife
2: about this. I mean, it was just it was like, yeah, this just
0: isn't a good fit.
2: Yeah, I think you hit on a good point, right? I think there's certainly some luck to everything, right? If it's an opportunity of what comes your way. But at the same time, I mean, knowing you through that time, I think you worked hard to find opportunities, be available, be open. Right. A lot of time opportunities come and, and people think it's not the right time or they're not interested. And then somebody else jumps on the opportunity and they think, oh, shoot, I should have done that. So since I've known you, I think you've kept an open mind. And and even, though, even if you haven't been actively searching for something, per se, when an opportunity presented itself, you've at least seen it through and had a conversation to see if that would be a good fit at the right time.
0: Yeah. I mean, a couple of those times making those moves, you know, you could consider them risks in a lot of ways. I mean, the people that I was working with PwC thought I was nuts, you know, moving on from where I was moving on. They're like, you've only been here a year. And and I thought when I went with PwC, I initially thought, hey, I'm going to be here for five years. I'll make manager. And then that timeline, I'm like, uh, that's not going to happen. Then I was like, well, maybe I'll stay for like two years. And then the opportunity kind of came up and I hadn't hit that two-year mark per se. Granted, I had done three busy seasons already, but that two-year mark on the resume hadn't hit... But I had an opportunity that came up that I just didn't think I could pass up. And it was the same same time. And I think, you know, you and I talk about this a lot and just with our friends and, in general, sometimes the best time to take these so, you know, quote unquote called risks are when you really don't have much to lose. Because, I mean, heck, you and I both talk I'm like, well, I mean, if that didn't work out, we know our firms are always wanting people to come back. They're always trying to get people with experience to come back. And I think we could go back and and perform at a high level if we really wanted to. And that was the mindset I took into taking these risks. I'm like, well, if it doesn't work out, you know, you're down the road. i I I can go back to public accounting probably, or I could go to another company, or maybe I could even just start my own, you know. And and I think that having that mindset to be able to, you know, take that kind of it's hard. You get in a big company, it's like, you know, you quote unquote think it's safe you know, you're going to get your annual raises and all this kind of stuff. But it just just didn't really suit me or fit me. And I figured, you know what, I'm in my 20s. I have no kids. I'm going to take some sort of gamble or risk. It's going to be now. And I've
2: continued to do that. And I still feel like I take gambles and risks all the time. So salary-wise, what did you start with at PwC? Your first job out of school, what did you start at? I think it was like 55 grand. Okay, so fifty five grand at PWC to start and then much as you're comfortable sharing where are you at now or how has that evolved over time?
0: Yeah, so I started at fifty five grand, then I got married and my wife started her job shortly thereafter. we got married. So we went to a hundred and I think hundred and twenty, maybe a hundred and ten, hundred and twenty, somewhere in that range. And then she worked for a little bit, then we moved, she started a business, and my income, my salary was at seventy five or eighty. I can't really remember exactly. But then I I made quite a bit of money on commission because I was starting to bring in some business and clients and stuff. And, and the way my firm worked is I basically got some carry on that. So I think right after public, that first year after, I made over 100 grand. But a, a good chunk of it, I mean, almost 30% of it was probably uh, commissions. Then my wife started a business. And then my income scaled up from there to 150, 160 with bonus over 200 and then has gone up from there, you know, over 250 uh with bonuses and my wife's continued to, you know, grow her business and stuff and so yeah, I mean, household income wise, we always talk about this. I mean, basically went from 55 grand post college to over 250.
2: Yeah, remarkable, right? I mean, to five exit in what is it, 8 years or something, right? I mean, that's some career management, obviously. So tremendously done, not like you need me to tell you that, but Pretty amazing, right, to, to have it bump up so quick. So let's go back here now to your breakout. So about 400000 in retirement, when did you start contributing to a Roth as you were working in the, those early years, whether it was the paper route or the yard work or the snow cones or any other venture? Is that when the the contributions to the IRA started or was that more when you first started working? Yeah,
0: I put a little bit in back then, not as much as I wish I would have. Like I said, I was spending money at Taco Bell, and I was making that Taco Bell franchise owner, you know, lots of money out of out of my pocket. But I put a little bit back then. I mean, I look at my accounts. I mean, I opened with T Rowe Price back then, and I and I look back and I think those accounts were opened when I was my teen years, and I put a little bit, nothing substantial. I think maybe only a thousand bucks, and then I really started ramping that up a little bit more in college as I was making some more money still not maxing it out I really didn't start maxing out my Roth until I became until I graduated actually and then it was full on board maxing out Roth my Roth then I got married started maxing out my, my wife's Roth I was maxing out all retirement accounts and basically
2: all through my 20s and then what about the HSA when did that start because you're you're up there too right on the HSA 50,000 that's one of the higher HSAs of the millionaires we've had right
0: yeah. So, I started HSA actually when I started at PwC. PwC had that option and they matched a little bit. I can't remember how much they matched, but yeah, I, I rolled that. My second company didn't have the option, but I continued to contribute to that uh, outside of – because I had a high deductible plan, I start, continued to contribute to that. And then my company after that did – so. I've contributed to the HSA and and will continue to do so. Really, ever since my you know call it mid twenties, I graduated uh, in twenty thirteen when I was twenty four, and basically have maxed that out every year since. Part of a couple of those years, I was single, uh, so that you know the contributions back then I think were only like three grand, but then now they're seven thousand something.
2: Okay, and then I obviously I know you obviously invest that as well. So just back to this this. Uh, retirement accounts, so about three hundred in the Roth, a hundred in traditional. Why the breakout? Why not all Roth? Why not all traditional? How did that breakout come to be? About about three to one, right?
0: Yeah. So part of it is just because I started that Roth so much earlier, and then you know my I've got a Roth option, and and I have had that, and as my income's increased, I've I've contributed and pushed more into that Roth and in, in in the four hundred one k. And you know this is a debate and and something we discuss a lot, but I'm I'm a fan of having options, just in general, everywhere, financially, like everything. When it comes to contract negotiation, just options period. And so, I think having the buckets that I have, so basically the way I look at it is I've got 58% in in the Roth bucket, I've got 25% in the traditional bucket and 17% in, in the HSA. And the HSA and the traditional, if you're going to use those the same, obviously the HSA I can use for healthcare and not have to worry about the tax, but let's just say that my HSA scales and I don't need to use all of it for medical, I basically have 40% in my retirement accounts that, I mean, that's the way I view it, that I would basically have to pay tax on down the road. And then 60% that I don't. And and the intent is that that will get closer to probably 50-50 or f- 55-45. Uh, and just to have, th- that's basically the way I look at those. Because those act- those accounts, I'm not going to touch until I'm 60 59 and a half or later. And so, that money, I mean, it sits there, it grows. I really don't add much more to it now. I take my company match and then I invest and I max out the HSA every year. And I just made that decision this last year. So, I quit maxing out those accounts and I quit contributing to my Roth. And the theory behind that for myself is that you know, this this snowball is already big enough, in my opinion, for it to just continue to grow for those assets. Because I, I really don't want to... People always say like, how much do you really want to have when you retire? And basically, if you put in a calculator, I'm like, you know, 30 years, this is probably going to give me a, a substantial enough to retirement. I look at it as almost like an insurance policy uh, for myself and for retirement. And so... I'll go do whatever else I want to do in business and real estate and everything else. I've got this bucket set aside in the market, and and I think I've discussed this on the show before. I mean, I really like to look at the three separate buckets and and break it up in a third, a third, and a third between business, real estate, and you know, equity
2: or exposure. Yeah. So going back off of what you said, so if you put in four hundred thousand as your present value at six percent. Right. Conservative, I feel like 6% over 30 years, you end up with 2.3. You throw 8% in there and you end up with with 4 million. The only thing that we go back and forth on deciding whether or not to do this is the thought of self directing a Roth, right? Because that becomes an option, even if you have a lot of money into a retirement account. Oftentimes, if you find a good deal and self direct a Roth, that could be beneficial as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it it is a debate. And I think, you know, just in general, it's one of those things that, you know, I I mean I go back and forth on it. And it, there's this element of like living now versus living later and do you have enough and, you know, we we talk about this a lot with our millionaires and when do you turn on the spending and And I just, I kind of look at the stuff that I do now and maybe instead of putting $6,000 into, you know, a Roth account, I put $6,000 into Boat Club and we go have a great time on the boat with me, my friends, family, kids. And I don't know that I had that mindset probably three years ago or four years ago, but I also... Got to a point where I'm like, I don't want to look back on my 30s and be like, man, I just invested a ton of money and I missed out on some of these experiences or maybe did things that I won't do in my 60s or we went on vacations and that, you know, there's an element of having that experience in that particular life phase that you can't
2: replicate just because you have money later. Yeah, I think you make a good point there. And, and that's something we talked about a month or two ago, right on the show with Bill Perkins and his book about paying for experiences at a specific age. So let me just say though, that's not always the Jace I knew, right? I mean, this is, we've known each other, well, let's see, I can 10 years or so, eight years, maybe started the podcast three years ago, but knew each other in school. So the Jace I knew was either frugal or cheap or a little bit of both right? And so, when did that start for you? And let me ask your wife because she's here with us now, Stacy. How was it when you first got married to Jace and when did this change of mindset start to happen? I, I've got to interject though.
0: I'm probably still frugal
1: and cheap. Just depends on when it is, what it is, time of the month, and what kind of cash flow is going on and all sorts of stuff. And my wife can attest to that. There's some types of like, Fretting over some twenty dollar purchase, but then there's other times where it's like, yeah, we just spent a thousand dollars on that. No, well,
3: yeah, I, I I'd say I I pretty much never know if we uh, if we're poor or or if we're rolling. <laughs> I can't ever tell the difference. I never know when to ask questions, but uh, but yeah, things have definitely come a long way from when we were first married. We first got married, I think I brought maybe eight hundred bucks into the marriage. I think he had three grand. We had he had just bought. A condo right before we got married. Um, just got back from our honeymoon. And uh I remember my coworkers uh would be going to go get their nails done and uh and I would turn it down every time and um and they didn't really understand that and sometimes I felt a little embarrassed saying no to a lot of things, um, or you know, someone's getting married and I'm, you know, buying like a set of eight plates or you know, just Small gifts, um, things like that. We, we just didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of excess money that we spent on things. Um, and, and, uh, we saved a lot and we just waited a lot. You know, I'd want to decorate or, or buy new furniture, um, get something for our mattress on the floor (laughs) to go on. Uh, and, and we waited and we would rather wait and buy something we really loved and spend more money on it, and invest in it rather, you know, buy once, cry once rather than, uh, rather than buy something cheap, have a break, replace it, then you end up spending more money over the long term. So I would say things really kind of turned on maybe in the last one year for sure. And probably in the last two years is when I've really seen the flip. I remember when we first had our daughter, I would still feel Guilty when I needed to go buy things. Um, and I don't feel that same, like, oh, shoot, you know, I, I still do in some ways, you know, I have a bigger bill at the grocery store because I'm buying diapers or wipes or things like that. And I still throw out a text like, Hey, <laughs> FYI I also had to buy laundry detergent, da, 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 da. So I, I'm not out of that habit of bringing things up when purchases are, are maybe more expensive on the day to day things than they would be. I think that by and large what we spend our money on is on experiences and then what's shifted now is being okay with buying things either for ourselves or for our friends like we can buy nicer gifts or or you know be more generous in ways that we would hold back in the and in, in the past.
2: So what made that shift, Jace? Because in college it was pre-dates, right? Or Like anything you could do that to save a few bucks or to invest or I mean we both you started you, you made 55 you said right I started making 58 and so there wasn't you felt like there's not a lot of money and you feel like you can't get ahead as fast as you want to but then you reach a certain point and how did the mindset start to shift. Yeah, that's a good question. And
0: and my wife and I, I mean, we joke about a lot of this stuff because the way I remember it when we first got married is like, I tried to like sit down and have talk with finances and budget and all this crap. And, you know, I hate budgeting and she knows it. And I told her that and I was like, I'd rather just try to like be cognizant of our spending, but here's the priorities that I really wanted. And one was like making sure we're you know, maxing out all these investment accounts and saving for things for the future and some of those things for the future were businesses and real estate purchases and all these other things instead of the consumer spending that that she targeted on. You know, she did a phenomenal job. There was a lot of time I didn't really know about all these things and it was a challenge. I mean, there was, there was a lot of sacrifice if you want to call it that where we chose differently to to do and I think the switch Partly happened when I started to gain critical mass with net worth, with investments, uh, you know, with career, with a lot of things that the snowball had kind of taken effect. I started seeing and reaping, I guess, some of those benefits of of what we had sacrificed, what we had done before. And looking back, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I had a fairly clear vision of where we wanted to head, but my wife just said, why don't you just handle it? You're good at it. I trust you. I don't really know like where we're going to end up. Kind of thing, and and so that's the way we we rolled. And I think really just that critical mass and, and trying to figure out too. I mean, there, I didn't want to live like a pauper forever. I mean, you know, there's an element to saving and investing and growing, but I also didn't want to get to the point where I was 60 and regret having like experiences that you know were valuable to me in 20s and 30s. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Hun?
3: I would say it's, it's been a, it's been a good balance. I would say even in our early years, we would still spend some of that extra income on travel. That would be where we spent it on, on building those experiences, uh, which felt like we still had a full life, even though I wasn't buying the cute $30 trays that go on the coffee table and the, Fig trees (laughs) to to decorate with. And uh, so I think that that felt like a good balance because it still felt like a really rich life. You don't – it was a really rich life. It didn't need to have the things, although it's fun to have the things. And uh, even still now, the majority of the spend is just on things that make life feel more full or bringing a more full-feeling life to friends and family uh than just on sheer purchasing things and and kind of moving past that buyer's guilt when okay oh shoot kids are growing out of clothes i need to buy new clothes for them uh which i still manage i i don't go bananas on on things uh that's not to say that that we don't manage that um but just not feeling like i'm i'm putting us behind and and jace mentioned earlier that he he really is the brains of of the whole operation, and my whole goal for the last seven years has just been don't spend money, <laughs> and if I do, put it on my business.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: I, I you know, as we we're talking about this, I'm thinking back. You know, there's a period of time my car broke down, and Stacy and I joke she married me for my bikes, and so my car breaks down, and then I start riding my bike to work because I was like, well, I don't, I don't, you know, whatever, I don't want to buy a new car. And so, we were sharing a car and then I was riding my bike to work and then my bike got stolen. And so, it was great. I, my wife obviously didn't buy from my car. It was this Subaru Outback. It was probably like $4,000. The
3: Green Goblin. Let's not forget that it was the worst color green Subaru that you could ever imagine.
0: Yeah, it was practical. I lived in the mountains and it was totem. I mean, that place, that car has been so many amazing places and amazing experiences. But I bought it for four grand, breaks down. I decided not to fix it because it was going to cost too much money. and then. My bike I was riding it. Boom, gets stolen, and I didn't buy a new one. And that's something I really enjoyed. But we, 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 I chose not to buy a new one for almost like two years, I think, after. And so we shared a car, which was actually really, in in hindsight, was a lot of really good time spent together. Because I would drop her off to work, or or vice versa. Or there was a while where I was a client that was super close, and I could just walk. But those were, I guess, sacrifices. You know, you look at the American dream. We didn't go buy this house. We've never bought a house that was, you know, relevant to our income. Always bought used cars, crappy cars and a lot of – not crappy, but just cars that weren't, you know, what you would expect from somebody who was making what we were making. And and still to this day, it's like that because I think – I mean, I love cars. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's nothing that – I mean, I've got my car list and I will have some of those cars one day. But that's just – for me, it's just not
2: today. Do you both of you, do you feel like you said no a lot the last seven years? Like, do you feel like it was a real sacrifice? Or do you feel like, hey, we sacrificed, but overall, you know, it's great. We live in a nice place. We have now we have a couple cars, right? Or or do you feel like the answer was no for a while? And maybe it was just really significantly no for that first few years? or, Or what's your take?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I would say it was a lot of no. <laughs> for a lot of, not even. Uh, it's hard to say that it was a no. It was just, I know we're not going to buy this. Especially I think as a female, there, there's that tendency you want to nest. You want to make your home a beautiful place. I felt like I had a good closet. I still don't really buy clothes for myself very often. I did last night my first my first dress of uh, of the year i think that i bought for myself uh for our for our family pictures and 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 jace's first response was what you don't have something that you like that you want to wear so <laughs> let's not pretend like we're over the hump here but there was yes there was a lot of no but it was okay because i knew why we were doing it it didn't i mean we were young it it didn't have to be yes and it was okay to be no it, it, the only hard parts were just kind of the comparison, which I didn't really care to do so much. But so- sometimes socially, like, you know, my siblings are much older. So when it was, you know, oh, well, let's do a family trip last minute, we're going to Hawaii. And it was going to be like 1600 bucks or something for us to both go. And I had more flexibility than Jace. And there was one family trip that I went on and he didn't, you know, with my family. And so that was that was more, yeah, I would, I would say more socially, there was, there was the nose that felt uncomfortable, but it didn't really feel uncomfortable to myself so often as it did with other people around. I don't
0: think it really bothered me much, you know, in terms of saying no or whatever. I mean... I,
3: he doesn't care about uh, social norms.
0: I don't. I really don't care what other people think of me. I mean, I do to some degree, but at the same time, like, I, I think this is where, you know, talking about having like a vivid vision, like, I know where I want to go and I don't really... It really doesn't bother me if like I go to some place and like people are like, oh, we're going to do this or whatever. And at the, you know, back in those times, it was like, I'm going to choose not to spend my money that way. I mean, we bring on a lot of these millionaires and we have a lot of those conversations where like they got to give. And in my mind, I was like, I would so much rather give up some of this in my 20s when like, I mean, do it. you really care that much like in your 20s versus doing it in my 40s and telling my kids no or telling our family no or having to catch up. Down the road, and I, I just didn't want to do that. And I didn't. I figured if it, if the time to sacrifice in a lot of ways was going to happen, and I hate using the word sacrifice because I didn't really look at it as a sacrifice so much. It just was what we were doing, yeah. And 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 I didn't really think much. Di- I mean, my parents are are pretty frugal. I grew up in a lot of ways like that, and. As much as it was nice to like have nice things and buy newer things and like, yes, we probably could have paid cash and done those and did that. I didn't want to go into a bunch of debt for consumer products. I didn't want to go into a bunch of debt for cars. I didn't want to have car payments. You know, I didn't want to do all these things. I was like, well, I mean, here's where my vi- here's where I'm headed. Does this thing fit in the puzzle? And, you know, my wife talks about these, you know, throw pillows or like decorating or whatever. And like, I I had to really come a long way and I'm still kind of coming a long way where those things don't necessarily bring me the happiness that they bring her. But I like have to figure out how that fits in my plan, her plan, because I just don't get the value out of them that she gets out of them. And so, you know, in the early years, it was like, well, we're not going to do this. We're not going to decorate. And I always wanted to be like, I mean, why are we decorating? Why are we doing this? Like, we're going to move from this house soon anyway. I was always like, why why invest in this? I'm just going to throw a lot of this away. And trying to make that balance, and we're still like trying to make that balance in a lot of ways. Although I think now, after hitting that critical mass, we've been we've gotten a lot
1: better at doing that.
3: And he finds value in living in a house that feels like a home. Thank you.
1: It's true. It's true. <laughs> oh man, that's good. So there's
2: a, there's a, a I want to embarrass Jace here for a little bit, and I don't know who the best, which of the two of you is the best one to t- tell the story, but there's a story right where a brand came up.
1: A clothing brand, right? And <laughs> you yep. just didn't
2: know what it tell me the story.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> I was dating my wife and there was a break in, this is in
0: Dallas, and there's a store and I it was a break in. Somebody backed up a truck to this glass front of this brand. It was Chanel. And as the story was getting told amongst her siblings and herself, my mind, I was like, who the heck is Chanel? So, I just blurted it out. I'm like, well, where does Chanel live? And of course, everybody started laughing at me. I had not never had exposure to Chanel. And because in my mind, I was thinking, man, who, ha- who lives close enough to the road where somebody could back up a truck into their front house that's all glass and steal a bunch of things out of it? Come to find out, it's the store. And... There was, I don't know, ten feet between the concrete and the glass and whatever. So I back the truck and stole a bunch of
1: stuff. And I was like, "Wait, who the crap Chanel?" That's when I learned about the brand Chanel. And I was like, in my mid twenties, I grew up in an area. I think I've said this before. Spokane, Washington. We didn't even get a
0: Nordstrom until, gosh, I probably was like late middle school. We got a Nordstrom. I remember you seeing a Nordstrom and Abercrombie and Fitch. I had never had exposure. My parents were in the medical field, so they're always in scrubs. It and My dad didn't care about clothes. He still wears stuff from like the 70s. He doesn't get rid of anything, keeps wearing it. Like So, they were never into fashion, never into clothes. I never had exposure. We never went shopping for any of that stuff. I was a jock, which is, you know, my wife and I joke. That's probably why we need to get married sooner is because I was still wearing like basketball shorts
2: and a t-shirt as an outfit. Still kind of do a lot of times. Oh, man. So, let's shift gears here and ta- you mentioned earlier time versus value right? And we I think you mentioned it first when you were doing the, the lawn mowing and the the weed whacking around the yard, right? The weed whacking took you a lot, what, longer? One of the two took you a longer time, but you got paid less for it. So I, I guess where I'm going here is now you're willing to pay for things that you weren't normally willing to pay for because you value the time or the free time or the time to do what you want rather than spending the time to do something, right? So g- give me an example, I guess, of of what a couple of those things are and how you came i don't know what the right phrase is came to peace with them or came to terms to pay for something maybe to outsource something right to have somebody else help with something or to pay for something rather than to do it yourself yeah that's been a little bit of an
0: evolution that wasn't really the mindset i grew up with like it was always like we're always going to diy we're going to fix it ourselves we're going to do it ourselves we're going to make it work for ourselves as time's gone on like you said i've started to value some more of those time that time and there are some things between my wife and i that we've figured that Neither one of us are great at or that we don't like to do. One of those is, is in the last year with the another baby and stuff. We have somebody that comes and helps us with cleaning the house and laundry. Other things is like having a personal assistant at work and, you know, which is a little bit different, but you know, I think just in general, there are activities that don't really bring us Happiness—they don't really like bring us together in a lot of ways. Both of us, you know, it's like, oh man, I just can't wait to clean my house on a Saturday afternoon. Both of us don't want to do that. We want to play, or I do a lot, and she wants to play too because she doesn't. You know, she likes a happy husband. She's like walking the dog for me to play. And but on the flip side of that, like I really enjoy doing my lawn. Like I I enjoy mowing my lawn. At some point in my future, I probably will outsource that. But I really enjoy like getting the mower. I really like. You know all equipment. I, heck, I had the business forever, and and so that's one thing that I don't
2: outsource, and I like doing it. Yeah, it, it all looks great, by the way. So going forward here, what what's the what's the plan for you both? Is there a certain goal? Is there something you want to hit? Is there still something that you really want? Whether it's an item or a bigger home, obviously as the family expands, maybe the home expands. But going forward here, what's what's the goal? And Stacey, if you want to talk about your business, you could share about that too.
3: <laughs> I mean, we're talking talking goals i mean i'll know we've made it so we have uh we have some friends we always talk about we'll know we've made it when xyz and it's usually something outlandish or or just funny or not
0: it started with we'll know we've made it when we start buying throw pillows that's where this started i mean kind of but not really but really because i didn't i didn't really
1: understand the value of throw pillows <laughs> i still don't <laughs> I know. We always talk about this. And my wife's, my wife uses some, or, or I use some name on the, on the pellet, on my Peloton name that's related to throat pillows. <laughs>
3: yeah. So I, I mean, I feel like we've got a really rich life now. There's, I would say there's not a lot that I feel like I need added to my life for it to be something greater. I think Peloton treadmill would be awesome if I had the space for it. But <laughs> other than that, um, I, I, I think that we have everything that we really Need or want for the most part right now. And yeah, for, for me, business wise, it's, it's been kind of a strange time in my life, uh, being in childbearing years because you end up having to step away from your work and your career in some regards. By trade, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and, uh, I was a clinical dietitian for some time and then started a private practice, which then morphed into nutrition communications, so I've really enjoyed the nutrition communication space. I've had a lot of uh, I've had a lot of flexibility there to be able to uh, spend time with my kids and work from home. Um, and then I put we put our toddler in school this summer, a couple days a week, so that helps me to be able to to work some more. And then rolling out uh, a a kitchen apron line which I'm super thrilled about because people don't wear aprons right now because they suck. <laughs> so we solved that problem with a great fit, great coverage, think athleisure for your kitchen and you've hit the nail on the head. So that'll be rolling out soon. We'd love to take that eventually to be a, a kitchen goods line, but uh but launching with the apron as our as our flagship product.
2: Yeah, great answer. Let me follow up with Stacy because I think it's important. I think there's a lot of either like moms or really dads, right? Working parents that want to try and balance it both people working or a mom working inside and outside the home. What's been some of the biggest challenges for you and how have you overcome it or how have you made it work where you've been able, you guys have two kids now, how have you been able to do it and make it work?
3: To start, it's mass chaos. (laughs) No, it's great. Uh, I, I think that probably one of the challenges is I would say that Jason and I are not always at a unity of the faith on what that should look like. I think that he would be fine and happy if we had full-time care for the kids and I worked full-time. But for me, I think that these years are really fleeting and it's not forever. It's just right now and I do want to be their primary caregiver. When our oldest was younger, she used to take a lot of naps, you know, two, two two-hour naps a day. That was four hours a day that I could work. But this summer is when we... Uh, started doing some half-day school for our toddler, and then uh, and then added someone to help with the housework because that that's where the breaking point is. I can't work if nap time is my critical time, or before they wake up, or after they go to bed. I, I can't maintain all the laundry and all the deep cleaning and working and keep the kids happy and be a sane person. <laughs> so outsourcing some of that has been critical to being able to. Uh, take my business further and and I don't want to lose that my career is important to me I just I, I but I don't want to miss these years right now they'll be in school full-time soon enough it's just not that time now I think of it as a season
2: yeah good answer and yeah with the kids right if you're going to be working while they're napping you don't want to be cleaning you, you just can't right or it's got to be super late nights every night or super early mornings before they wake up but they're waking up early so yeah I'm, I'm with you there I mean no kids but that's what I'm, that's my takeaway <laughs> that's what I'm learning so, going forward, Jace and Stacy, I mean, where do you go from here? Is there a, a net worth goal, a passive income goal? I want to get into passive income and mindset a little bit after this, but going forward, where are you guys heading?
0: Yes, yeah, Stacey, where do you want to get to net worth-wise?
3: I just want to not have to worry about it.
0: Do you worry about it now? <laughs> honey, honey, you don't even look at our bank account. <laughs>
3: I look at my business account and that's what matters. I don't know. I am
0: I show her our net worth spreadsheet once a year. That's
1: basically what we've compromised. Not compromised. It's just she doesn't want to mess with it. But where do you want to get to? It's not
3: that I'm an idiot about it. No, no. You're really good at it and you really enjoy it. And it's a little bit over my head. I have to be totally honest. You're really good at it. I let you run with it. I just trust you. Do not screw me over, please. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, I'm moving with Clark and Sarah as their first child.
0: But do you want to get to somewhere net worth wise or passive income, or does it not? Even,
2: we haven't even had this conversation, Clark. You had to put her on the spot. Well, let me put you on the spot. You tell me. I, look, if this is over her head, dietitian's <laughs> over your head, so I don't blame it. I don't blame her <laughs> no a bit. But you tell me if you have a net worth goal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a moving stick, right?
0: I I've always think I've had ten million in the mind as as a place to get to. I've always thought that was. A good number, I think, with inflation and everything else, it's probably realistic to to want to go somewhere between five and ten. And so that's really where I've really set my my earlier sights on is trying to get to that ten. And it's not so much you know having ten million dollars net worth or whatever. It, it's partly of like what that freedom looks like of having that you know level of wealth and how you can structure your income and getting into the passive income like. The 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 net worth number has it's important. Don't get me wrong. There's one way. To, I mean, it's one way to keep score, and I do it every month, and I and I have for a while. But that that passive income and, and I, you know, the term we always use passive income. Like how much passive income is it is, or or, or is it really passive? But that number to me has become a lot more critical, in, especially in the last two to three years, because I really do think that is what enables you to either pursue things that are important to you or be able to give more of your time or more of your money or whatever else if you're able to generate income without having to trade your time for it you know that that's really where that freedom comes and so that passive income number is is more important to me than than the net worth specifically and at that point i, I really just want to be able to live comfortably and And the way I look at passive income and and living comfortably is basically I've got everything paid off, no debt, so no mortgage, which is basically the only debt that that I have. Uh, I've got a little bit of debt on one of my businesses, but that that would be basically living expenses and and I mean guess, if you have the kids in the house and we need to have them, I mean that would probably be i don't know hundred and fifty grand. But if we have everything paid off, I think I mean I want to go boating five six grand a year, join the club. Six grand, seven grand, or whatever for golfing at a club all the you know all year. Food. I mean, we put together a dream budget a few years ago, or discussed it. Everything we'd ever want, and it was like, I mean, this is we're crazy. We're spending like hundred thousand dollars a year on on travel, taking the whole family, taking all our kids, our spouses, grandkids, add it all up, and it was like two hundred fifty, three hundred grand that I was like, spend. I'm like, I don't know how, I don't know what else I would spend money on. I mean, that was it. I was like, and that was just, I mean, 100,000 of that was just straight up travel to take the family on a big trip. Not even two of us. Like, there was another 50,000 I think we put in that for just travel for just us. Which like, I'm, I mean, I'm still cheap. We talk to some of these millionaires who want to fly first class. I don't know that I'll get there for a little while or I'm, I'm willing to pay like that extra money to, to fly first class. Like, flying experience terrible anyway. So, what's the difference between th- paying $300 or... 2,000. I mean, maybe first class is different. I've flown it a couple times. I'm like, I don't know that the dollar value is that much different. So, if you back all that out, I mean, it's like, heck, I could probably live on 80 to 100 grand with everything
2: paid off and have everything I want to do. But you're saying if you get to that 300, and this is something we've talked about too, right? Doing a dream budget. But you're saying if you get to that 300 number, then that's everything you'd want to do. So, passive income now has taken weight a little bit more of the weight rather than net income.
0: Yeah, totally. Especially if, if you look at like, you know, for example, if you've got business equity, how much business, I mean, what's your return on your net worth? What That's a number I've started looking at a lot more too because, and it's not just return in terms of like how much value it goes up, it's what kind of cash flow gets kicked off from that because that's really, you know, whether it's retirement accounts or whether it's a liquidation on a business, at some point, you're converting all these assets into cash flow, into, you know, daily life and living. And so, That to me has become a lot more important. But yeah, I mean, going back to like living the life that I want, I mean, I could probably, you know, passive income would be 100, 150. And if I really wanted to scale that to, you know, take the family on a crazy trip every year, you know, with all my kids, grandkids and all that, it'd be 300.
2: Right. So even when we talk about like the 4% withdrawal, that's all for cash flow, right? I mean, that's the goal is to sit here on a million dollar portfolio or whatever it is. And if you want to live off 50 grand, right? You have 1.1, 1.2, you can withdraw your 4%. I mean, that's basically what it's doing, right? You're just trying to have a big bucket that you can draw from and create passive income. So this I know along with mindset and networking and creating more of a vision for where you want to be has become, I think, more critical to you over the last couple of years. How did that come to be, and, and why does it play such an important role for you now?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's an old saying. I think Jim Brown said, "Your your network or your net worth is your network," and it's true in a lot of ways. But it's not just the network; it's the mindset that comes with it. It's being around those kinds of people that think differently or think and are involved in different things than you. And I really made it a point four years ago, I think, to be around some of these people that thought differently, that look at the world through a different lens than I do. You know, we started a podcast. We started meeting all these different people that look at their investments differently potentially and you know we're between reading books and self-educating and you know there's a book out there called vivid vision that's been instrumental in in trying to form this and just figuring out one trying to become the best person best self i can be challenging you know we we focus net worth and passive income it's just a scorecard but that scorecard to me is a reflection on habits, it's a reflection on purpose, it's a reflection on what's important to me, what's important to my family and those kinds of things matter in a lot of ways because money makes the world go around in a lot of ways. I mean, we've got to have money to buy food, we've got to have, you know, money to do this and the wealthier you are and I think we've discussed this earlier, there's just there's not as much worry You don't have to worry about things. I don't have to worry about a $20 charge or I don't have to worry about paying for this or that or whatever. And there's a lot of good you can do with money, you know? I mean, I I employ quite a bit of people and I I think it's great. I mean, we just got a a thing from a, a customer the other day that just, you know, just like talked about how much good we were doing in the community and all this stuff. And like, to me, it's that is worth it in a lot of ways to risk some of the things that I've risked to have people have experiences like that, you know? and and. That, that brings me a lot of joy in a lot of ways, M- almost more so than actually like taking a distribution or having
1: profits.
2: So what's the motivation now for you and, and Stacy for you? Is it, I think when it started, right, the motivation maybe was to build the net worth. Now is it flexibility and freedom and getting to that point where you don't have to worry or deep down, what is it? Is it to give the kids a good life? Is it to connect with other people? Is it to, I mean, what, what's Deep down, what's your guys' motivation now?
3: I think that the motivation has always been to have a full life. And for us, that means that we get to travel and have, you know, experience-based living. We don't have the flexibility right now, probably, that we would like. Eventually, we'd love to both be able to, you know, work remote and we'd love to work in a business together, uh, which we would do some in one of our businesses but in in the kitchen goods line which is called Kitch that's launching we'd love uh that to be something we could really kind of take off together and then building those experiences for our kids and you know you don't want to have to say no you don't want to have to say oh i know that gymnastics or dance looks really interesting but we you know we, we can't you know afford that which you don't want to not get to experience something um that may enrich your life in a way that you would never suspect because you didn't get exposed to it. I think a lot of his exposure, positive experiences, Jace gets a lot of joy out of travel and planning trips. Uh, that's like what really does does it for him. So COVID's been an interesting time because that's been kind of botched.
0: The things that, that are important to us, travel, like my wife mentioned, Spending time with family and friends, and like she mentioned, obviously, we want to get to a point down the road where where things are a little bit more flexible. Money gives you a lot of that flexibility in a lot of ways to to be able to to not have those worries and and whatnot. you know, spending time doing the things that I enjoy doing, golf, tennis, basketball, boating, biking, which we all do now, and I think we have a pretty good balance with all that. You know, one thing that, you know, down the road I want to create, I want to build this amazing sports complex that is just, you know, state of the art, has everything that, that kids would ever want mainly just to bring kids together, bring community together. Because I I was really influenced a lot by the sports and the teams and the things I did growing up. And I would love to be able to create like, well, my wife, when we first were dating, she wanted to have like this phenomenal commercial kitchen. And I remember looking, I'm like, man, that's like, that's going to be so much money. How am I going to afford this? And that was at 24. And now it's like, okay, well, let's let's turn the tables. I wanted to do this thing. Like, why couldn't we combine them? And figure out how we're going to make it happen. And it's not so much to, hey, I want to get wealthy or have this big building or whatever. It's to create those experiences. There's one thing I really enjoy doing, and that's ex- sharing the things that I love to do with other people and making that experience that I enjoy so much for them. And I want to continue to do that, whether it's for people that are underprivileged or family or friends or whatever. Like that is something that brings me a lot of joy to bring those experiences to, to people. Just like, you know, we go out boating yesterday. And I bring you to like this lake. I mean, I just love that. Taking you to the lake that I spent all this time on that I just absolutely love and hang out. I mean, the water's a little bit chilly for this time of year for Texas, but it's great. I just love it. I just love taking people out there. I mean, I just love driving the boat around, watching them have you know tons of fun and I'll get in every now and again with them. And I think that's really where we'll head, where we want to head. And of course, along the way, like, yeah, I want to buy a Tesla one day. I mean, I just love those cars. I think... We're headed in a lot of ways, you know, in electric. And I've always loved those cars and there'll be a season of life, like my wife mentioned, where that will be a purchase that I make. I will buy a Tesla, you know, and those are things that going back to that vision, I've seen in my own life, a lot of things that like I just visualized come to pass. Like they've can't, they've come about, like just call it magic or whatever you want to call it. I just think like having. The mindset to always be thinking about these things. Like when you do, they happen. And when you concentrate on them and then build the plan to do it, they occur.
3: And I'll just say that Jace has a tendency to chronically set his sights ginormous. <laughs> we we goal set a little bit differently. I like things that seem that are inspiring but achievable, and he likes unthinkable. <laughs> and that's that's how his brain works, but he really sets his sights. Way higher than he thinks ever is possible. And he pretty much always achieves <laughs> that, that impossible and, and always is working his tail off.
2: So, Jace, did, did you worry too much? I mean, now I think at least me and maybe Stacey would agree is probably the most I've ever seen you relaxed about money. Did you worry? Looking back now, I mean, it took you what? You're a millionaire, what? Eight years ish from working, nine years? From when you first started your first job, did you worry too much? Did you say no too much? Like, do you wish going back now you would have done more or lived differently? Or are you happy with how you did it?
0: No, I don't. I don't regret anything. I'm, I'm sure Stacy probably wished we would. She would have done the nails a few times because in hindsight, I mean, was the hundred dollars that week like really going to make or break it? No.
3: To be fair, I'm still painting my own nails. I
0: mean, what do you want? It's COVID. <laughs> I didn't know she wanted to go get the nails done, honey. I'll paint them for you. But no, I don't. I don't. I don't regret anything. I mean, there definitely probably were some decisions that like we made, and I. I, I don't know. I mean, it, looking back, you know, we we made some. Like I said, I mean, we shared the car. Like we made these other like sacrifice. We slept on the floor with the mattress. I mean, to me, that just wasn't even sacrifice. Because I, I mean, heck, dude, when you. I mean, you know this. We lived in you know essentially a third world country, and and that changes your perspective a lot too. I mean, I looked at what they had. Like, dude, no matter what life you live in America, for the most part, it, it's amazing. I mean, we are really, really, truly blessed in this country to to have what we have. And so, I didn't really think, like, oh man, we're just on the mattress. It's all right. I mean, this is. I mean, this thing can be forever. I'll buy a, a bed one day, or I'll do this one day, or whatever. But you know, I, I don't really think that stuff brought me happiness, and 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 a lot of times still doesn't. But I don't think. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I'm sure there's situations. I mean, you hear about it all the time, like how compound interest is is just so much more valuable putting those dollars to work earlier. I don't regret anything. I mean, we still do a little bit of travel, frugal travel. We still do that now. I'm a little bit more loose when it comes to travel now than than we were back then, but I don't have any regrets.
2: So, does the money now Bring more happiness and confidence. This is a question we we asked. So I'll ask you a couple more that we normally ask, and we'll go into rapid fire questions here and wrap it up. But does the does the financial security, the hidden the million dollar mark, does it bring you more happiness or more comfort? I
0: wouldn't say I'm a happier person. Like. We were discussing earlier. I mean, we we lived a rich life then. It just was different. We were in a different phase. I've got two kids now. We needed more space. Got a bigger house. Happens a lot. and, And you know, people scale up or whatever. And I do enjoy a lot of things of our house. You know, I've got a little putting green that I made in the backyard. My kids can go run around, and those kinds of things definitely you know bring a level of happiness. It's just different. But it wasn't like I was not happy before. On the confidence side, yeah, definitely. Partly because I've gained skills, I've gained a mindset, you know, that, that I don't think could get unwound in a lot of ways. And so, because of that, yeah, I mean, the confidence levels have definitely increased. I don't, you know, it's not like I'm going to walk in and just be like, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want. I mean, I still have this, you know, I come from a small, smaller town. I've always felt like the underdog in a lot of ways and I kind of work- and think about things as with an underdog mentality.
2: So I'm curious what your take would be on luck for skill. And this is something we've started asking a little bit more recently, right? What percent of the success or what part of the success was luck and what part of it was skill and mindset and working hard and making it happen for yourself?
0: Yeah, I think they're both important. You know, we say the harder you work, the luckier I get. And I think there's an element to that. Uh, you know, putting yourself out there, putting yourself in in position for opportunities. If you tell a lot of people what you want, what you want to get in life, how you want to do it, it's going to happen. You know, you put those people around you, those kinds of people change your mindset or say, hey, this guy's looking for this or he's doing this. Or, you know, if you're just putting a bug in there, say you want to buy a real estate deal or a business or something, you start telling people all that. One, you've just created a natural accountability for yourself and the other part of that and that's a lot of things where a lot of people i think not fail but just miss the miss the mark is not having accountability to stuff they say they want to do something who's holding them accountable we don't hold ourselves accountable very well other people do that for us and then being able to to have the mindset i mean obviously it's important to have some skills and people are paid for the value you create in the marketplace whether it's your company or whether it's somebody else's company, people are generally going to pay you for the value you create. So there's some skill involved into creating value for people, whether it's for your company, their company, or, or your personal household or whatever, you've got to have some skill to be able to create value.
2: So the accountability for you, how do you do that? Is there an accountability partner that you team up with? Is it, is it just regularly reviewing your goals? I know that's become more important. So how do you personally handle that?
0: Yeah, that's something I've I've really tried to get better at. But yes, there's I do have some accountability partners with certain things. Uh, my wife and I discuss a lot of these things, you know, in terms of holding each other accountable. And I'll be honest, there those kinds of things, especially earlier in our marriage, were not comfortable. You know, it's not comfortable to like not perform the the person that you love the most. Like, hey, I put this on paper. I wanted to accomplish it, and. <laughs> They see your flaws, and it's like crap. Like I live with this person. That that element has has evolved, and, and we've become much better as a couple, holding each other accountable, not in a negative way, but just hey, you really wanted to say you wanted to do this. I really want to help you do it. I'm going to hold you accountable to to do it. And you know th- that that's been critical. Reviewing, having that vision, reviewing my goals, and and really more so establishing the habits that that lead to those goals has been extremely critical.
2: Fun. So, let's jump into some rapid fire questions here. I mean, these are ones we've asked for the beginning for the last, what, three years or so since we've started the podcast. So, I think it'll be interesting to get your take. And I, I don't think that I know most of the answers to these for you, right? So, what's been your most expensive pair of pants you've ever purchased?
0: Oh, man. I know that we always ask this. I mean, I've probably spent $100, $150 on a pair of pants. No?
3: His
2: wife says no.
0: <laughs> How much? My AG jeans even when I buy them on sale they're like a hundred bucks
3: I would say anywhere between 80 to 120 and that's them on sale never full price but I you've never gotten close to one 18 150 and I doubt you've even touched 120 probably more around the 80 range no
0: I think I think I had a pair of those AGs that were on sale for like a hundred I don't know I mean right back to this like it's like all relative at some point like I forget how much I spend those pants regularly priced are way too expensive in my opinion and clothing just in general. So yeah, back to like getting them on sale, a hundred bucks. We'll call it that.
2: Okay. What about shoes? Most expensive shoes?
0: I think a pair of my Allen Edmonds. Well, I guess the my boots, my Tacobas were probably the most expensive, but those were a gift. But the pair of shoes, I, probably pur- I purchased a couple pair of Allen Edmonds in the 250 range. Once again, probably on sale, but 200, 250.
2: And then I think we've talked about this a lot, but the most expensive or what's been worth the money, right? I think for you, it's been experiences and making those experiences, whether that's travel or doing something. So if that's the case, I mean, confirm that and then what's not been worth the money. Yeah,
0: definitely the experiences, whether it's been travel or going boating or golfing. I mean, golfing is not a cheap, cheap thing. My wife and I've spent a lot more time and money on golfing this last year. Those are definitely the things that are worth spending money on to us. And 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 I like nice things. I mean, I, like my wife mentioned earlier, buy once, cry once. I always say it because I hate buying something that just gets trashed or like you know it's okay. I went cheap and then it doesn't last. I'd rather spend more money on, you know, nice furniture and have it last for 10, 15, 20 years and really enjoy it over that period of time. Stuff that's not worth spending the money on to me, the throw pillows. I mean, I always joke about them, but I mean, not really, but I just, there's certain things that I just don't get as much value out of personally that, you know, say my wife does or whatever, but together we don't go out to a lot of like expensive meals, especially now that we have kids. But a lot of the places I love are not that expensive either. I mean, I love Chick Fil A. My Chick Fil A sandwich is like four bucks. I love my tacos; those are like seven dollars. But I would say, I mean, eating out like we don't go fine dining that often. I mean, we do for certain celebrations. What else is not worth the money to us? I mean, just living outside of our means really is just not worth the money. I mean, and and by means by living more than like I don't know living a life more than on fifty percent of our income. Would you say like that's just not worth it to us? you Know buying the bigger houses, I guess cars too. I mean, I have we have not I've always bought used cars, and that's probably not been worth the money yet, but it will be. I mean, I, I want to buy a Tesla or I, I love Teslas, we'll buy one one day. And it's not just crap, I mean, it's not just cheap cars. Like, I think it's important, my you know, Mike. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. My sister was in a bad car accident and, and it, it almost lost her life, and it's important. I mean, I, I think having a good quality vehicle, there's nothing that I hate more than having car trouble. So, nice cars, but not new cars or overpriced cars, if you can even say that, is probably not worth the money. That's probably the best answer
1: is the cars.
2: So, the next question we often ask is, have you ever used a financial advisor? I know you haven't. But when I was thinking about that, I thought about your experience when, besides your wife, yeah, Stacey's saying besides me,
1: <laughs> right? Besides your wife as a
2: financial advisor. But I thought about your experience when you were renting, you first started renting a place in Dallas, right? and you went to apply, and I think because you didn't have a credit card at the time, you got turned down. And then you said, look, I'll just pay you the full rent up front, right? I'll just pay you the whole entire thing, and they still wouldn't accept you, right? It, do I have that right? I mean, I just thought it was an interesting experience and maybe worth sharing.
0: Yeah, that's correct. I've, I've not, I not. I did meet with one financial advisor uh, briefly back in the day just to see you know, what this was all about and see if it was really worth it. My dad's like, you know, my dad's always like, "Just go try stuff out." You know, if you don't like it, don't do it. So I did meet with one, but yeah, I've not really used a financial advisor. Been mostly self-education on a, on a lot of things. And yes, that experience did happen. I did. I got turned down for rent to to rent a place. I couldn't believe it. So I do like what I do a lot of times, and I tried to just negotiate for what I wanted. And I offered to write the guy a check for the full lease upfront. And he told me no. And I couldn't believe it. I was beside myself. I'm like, if the owner of this place knew that this just happened, there's no freaking way. But that was the leasing agent. And I was like, fine, I'm taking my money elsewhere. I mean, I was willing to write a check for the whole lease amount up front. Who does that?
2: And they still, they still
0: said no. That's pretty funny. There was a really important lesson that I learned in that too. And that was that, you know, I had just been somewhat, I don't know if naive is the right word, but I just didn't ever have a credit card, neither in my wife. And I just didn't really think that I don't establish credit, like I don't think a manual entry right on a mortgage or whatever. And, that has been a significant mindset shift in terms of being able to establish credit and have credit. And, you know, I look at, look back, I'm like, I, I should have done that a little earlier. I mean I was still in my twenties, but I should have done some of that earlier because you just never know what scenario you're gonna be in. And had I had a credit score and had I not had the mindset of like, well I'll just pay everything with cash, which in that scenario I was, I could have just wrote a check for the whole freaking thing and and, and been fine. But I should have been
2: able to establish that a little earlier. Okay. And you're how old? How old you when you became a millionaire? Thirty one, thirty two ish Okay. So last question here, and, and this is one we've kind of been on a kick with asking too, is happiness and fulfillment, right? And I think we've talked a lot about this with experience and freedom, but just in closing, what does it mean to be happy or fulfilled? And at what point does money, if at all, play a role in that?
0: Yeah. I think happiness comes from within and choosing to be happy. I don't think external factors can drive happiness. They can definitely influence happiness, but they don't drive happiness. So, money doesn't really make or break happiness levels in my opinion. Definitely can make things less stressful and easier, but I really believe that, that happiness comes from within and choosing to be happy.
2: All right. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. That's fun. That's the first time that we've had each other on, right? So maybe in the future, I'll come on. Um, but congrats, obviously, on the success. Well done, Stacy. Thanks so much for joining us as well here.
3: I think we need to add a new uh, million-dollar holla is, is what I think that needs to be added to the MU uh, interview process.
2: <laughs> Do a little million-dollar holla whenever you make millionaire you're saying, saying like similar, similar to like the debt-free, debt-free scream you like we come, when you first make millionaire someone comes on and does the million dollar holla yeah well i guess i can do the
0: million dollar ho- i want to share one thing real quick though because i think this is funny too it, given that that the podcast is where it is today and going back to clark and myself's frugal ways in a lot of ways clark and i used to live together
2: i don't know what right
0: after i graduated before you were finishing you were doing an internship and I was just starting with PWC. And we took a road trip and we did that road trip very inexpensively.
1: We stayed with somebody we didn't even know. <laughs> we basically drove down. Was it in your car in the Lincoln? Maybe. I, I can't remember if we
2: took, this is when we were living in Arlington together. I can't remember if, I don't remember if it was mine or yours. I don't remember. But yeah, we were – I mean, that was like the cheapest of the cheap days back then, right? Both working, no money, both trying to get our CPAs, get careers under the belt, get everything going. I mean, that was about as cheap as it got for
1: us. Yeah. So, we, we, we te- I'm pretty sure it was your white Lincoln, man. That thing was baller. So, we're, we're rolling down. We go on this little road trip to have
0: fun, right? Going back to one, we spent money on experiences. Wasn't even a lot of money. We chose to stay with somebody we didn't even know, which was kind of crazy. I mean, it's stupid, I guess, in hindsight, but saved the money on the tub, didn't do it, gotten a crazy experience out of it. Went and spent, what, we got the student pass, I think, even because we still qualified for Sea World or something. I can't even remember. But I just go back to like the evolution of that. One, we had that experience in our 20s. We could never go recreate. I guess you're still in your 20s or just barely out of them, but we could never go recreate that experience. And now, two, that path of frugality has led you to where you are, me to where I am. It has evolved a little bit, right? Like I think both of us have been willing to spend more on certain things. But that, I think those habits in a lot of ways are, are ingrained into us, whether it's from when we're kids or developing them into our 20s and 30s or whatever. And being able to concentrate and really execute on a plan year over year over year, it takes a lot of Discipline. And I think, you know, we talk about that with some of our millionaires, but I think that is one thing that I have really gained a new respect for because this isn't something that happens overnight. You talk to founders of companies that sell for a lot of money, it's not overnight. There's a lot of grind that goes into it, there's a lot of decisions that can make or break in businesses. It's the same thing in our personal lives and getting to a level of financial success or financial freedom that is. Important, and I, I just, I share that experience because I just think it's so funny because both of us are similar in that in that aspect, and it's evolved, but it's still a lot of the same. Like we just do that differently in our thirties than than we did in our twenties.
2: It reminds me of when we had David on episode one hundred. Right, he he talked on. He came on and said, in, "When you start living a certain way, people will." I don't know if it's judge you, but look differently at you, right? Or especially, I think if you're really frugal or saying no, people will say, like, oh, how do you, you know, why do you make those decisions? And then you get to a certain point, whether it's success, net worth, passive income, income, you know, whatever it may be. And then those (laughs) same people he says come back to him and be like, oh, I always knew you'd be successful, right? Or like, oh, yeah, yeah, like I don't even know how you did it anymore. I I always knew you did it, like overnight success. But I, I think you make a good point that it's, Years in the making of intentionality and focus to make it happen, right? And I think there's some element of luck for everybody, but I think there's a significant amount of, of skill and a significant amount of forward thinking and planning and determining how you want to take the risk and the decisions you want to make. So, anyway, this has been, been really fun. First time, obviously, having you on. So, so thanks for joining. Um, a little bit weird to say thanks for joining the show, right? When it's your own co host, but this has been fun. Thanks again.
0: Yeah, I think it's been fun. I think last advice would be start early take risks, execute a plan, have a vision of where you want to go, and, and don't let anything stop you from getting there.
1: Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.